Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. So hello, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm a sexaholic. I've been um, in this program for uh, about seven years now. Um, I've uh, gotten involved in uh, the CFC uh, service uh, pretty uh, heavily over the last uh, four years, I would say. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's the Correctional Facilities Committee. Um, I've been uh, sponsoring some uh, members in prison and uh, trying to get some um, SA meetings started in prison, as uh, well as some other activities that we do. Um, the uh, way that I got into that service was uh, a member um, joined our fellowship locally who uh, had been arrested and uh, had a very long uh, trial process because he was uh, pleading not guilty. And uh, long story short, uh, a year and a half later, he was sentenced and incarcerated. And uh, I maintained uh, my contact with him uh, through email and the phone and also by letter writing and um, tried to uh, see if there was a way that I could help him continue to work his program while he was in there. And uh, that eventually led me into uh, helping other prisoners with that. And so um, I've been sponsoring uh, members in prison for uh, uh, maybe three or four years now. And um, about a year ago, um, one of our uh, members of the Correctional Facilities Committee, uh, Eric S., he um, had this idea to um, try to see if we could uh, capture with some audio recordings uh, the experience, strength, and hope of uh, another member named Tucson Ray. Uh, Ray is a um, old timer in our program who actually pioneered a lot of the uh, service uh, that we do in the Correctional Facilities Committee. Um, he had a similar experience to mine where he um, had a, member, a couple of members, uh, two gentlemen uh, joined his program and uh, they had also been arrested and uh, were awaiting uh, sentencing in their trial. And um, they had a uh, eventually uh, gotten uh, sentenced and booked and um, started serving their, their time uh, in prison. And he uh, began to, um, he, he was their sponsor and he continued sponsoring them while they were uh, uh, serving their sentence. And uh, that led to him sponsoring some of their uh, fellow inmates who had heard about the program through them. And um, long story short, he uh, got invited to uh, help start an essay meeting um, at one of the prisons where uh, one of his sponsees uh, was incarcerated. And um, he, uh, by the time he was, uh, well, I'll, I'll, before I say that, um, he just kept looking for more opportunities to um, see if uh, there was anything, any other way he could serve the fellowship or serve other members. Um, he wasn't really uh, instigating a whole lot of things. Um, it was really just his higher power placed uh, opportunities before him, uh, and, he, uh, and he went with it. 
So um, by the end of his um, service career, if you want to call it that in SA, uh, he had started uh, SA meeting in um, every single prison uh, in the uh, state system in uh, his state of Arizona. And um, he continued to do that until uh, he uh, no longer could physically uh, uh, make the trips driving wise uh, all up and down the state. And um, his health had been deteriorating and uh, he had looked for some other members in his local fellowship to take over for him, but, uh, but uh, nobody uh, uh, was willing to do that for various reasons uh, at the time. And so uh, those meetings have all since um, uh, dissipated. But uh, he still maintained some contact with some of the members and uh, also just um, really had a really, he, he laid a strong foundation for the CFC. Uh, and um, we are carrying on his work uh, around the world um, in other ways uh, through other sponsorship of other inmates around the world and trying to get other meetings started in other states and other countries. And um, he, um, he's, he's been getting on in years and Eric had this idea to uh, capture some of his uh, testimony. And um, I have some experience with, uh, with uh, recordings. Um, I, t I tend to primarily uh, uh, work in video, but I do have some audio experience as well. So um, after approaching the Board of Trustees uh, for um, uh, some support, um, they uh, decided to uh, reimburse me for some travel expenses to go down to Arizona and uh, interview Ray. And um, I have a lot of experience doing that uh, in my work. Um, I interview people for uh, various video projects. And um, I sent him a long list of questions. And I also told him that I'd be winging the interview a little bit, depending on what his answers were. And uh, he turned out to be a really great interview subject. Um, I stayed in Arizona for uh, three nights uh, with another member and his family, uh, Glenn K. And um, he, um, or Glenn L, I should say. And uh, it was a really great experience for me to just see some recovery happening in a family. Uh, I had never really witnessed that before. I didn't know what that looked like. And um, uh, Glenn has been working a good program. So it was a gift to just uh, be in the, in the presence of that, um, those, the, the recovery principles in a household where there had been so much damage done from the addiction. And um, Ray was a really great interview subject also in that he just had so much energy. He um, gave us nine hours of <laughs> interview footage and uh, I broke it up into two days of, um, of interviews with him because uh, I needed a day to reflect on the first day of interviews to come up with more, more questions and decide where I was going to circle back. But I think if uh, I hadn't uh, asked for that, I think Ray would have just gone, given me nine hours straight. Um, he never <laughs> seemed to need a break, but the only breaks we took were breaks that I needed. And um, he just, uh, yeah, he, he just kept, uh, he kept going. And um, the reason I mentioned that is because uh, a month after I had left um, Arizona to begin editing uh, all of the material that I had collected with him, he uh, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And uh, a month after he was diagnosed, he had actually passed away. So uh, as it turned out, we had captured these interviews with him in, in the nick, nick of time. And um, since uh, that time, I've been able to uh, condense the nine hours of recordings that we got with him into uh, three separate one-hour tracks uh, that uh, I'm uh, eager to share with the fellowship. So um, what I'm going to do right now uh, before I continue uh, sharing about this is I'm going to actually um, post a link to these recordings uh, to the chat uh, line right here for those of you who have your chat windows open. And uh, if you click on that link, uh, it's uh, sexaholicsanonymous.wixsite.com slash modesto slash ray. 
If you go there, uh, you'll be able to stream uh, all three of those tracks and you'll also be able to click on another link to download them if you uh, so desire to do that. And um, the, uh, the tracks are separated into three topics. Um, one of them uh, is basically Ray's story. It's uh, his experience uh, with the addiction, uh, hitting bottom, finding recovery and, um, uh, and healing and uh, bringing uh, that healing and that positive um, actions of love into his relationships, into his family. The other track is called uh, Recovery, Unity, and Service, and it basically uh, outlines Ray's uh, service history in the fellowship um, with uh, sponsoring prisoners, uh, also sponsoring members outside prison um, in his local fellowship, and uh, also going over some recovery tools that he uh, has picked up over the years. Um, and then the uh, last track is called Prison Meetings, and uh, those are, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's over an hour of uh, just that one topic of uh, Ray's experience getting meetings started in prison. He talks about how he went about doing it, um, some of the fits and starts that he had over the years, and uh, also um, his experience with the inmates and their, their uh, responses to the program, how he worked with them, how he uh, conducted the meetings in a way that worked for everybody. And... Um, and how he actually ended up sponsoring a lot of them and um, ended up uh, um, getting um, just that, that message of recovery uh, into prison um, until he could no longer uh, carry out that work. So um, I definitely think that there's some value in all three tracks for anybody who's interested in prison service, obviously. But I also think that the first two tracks um, are of benefit to anybody in our fellowship, uh, which is why I'm eager to share them with uh, as many people as possible and why um, I was graciously given a, some time today to do that with all of you today. And I encourage you to uh, not only check out uh, this link to listen to these uh, recordings, but to also uh, share this link as much as you can with your local fellowships, with uh, other people in the program, because I definitely think every, we could all benefit from it. Um, so uh, Ray's story, um, before I wrap up here, just involves a lot of healing. Um, he talks about hitting bottom where he had basically gone through three marriages um, and uh, found recovery. Um, he had four addictions going on. And, um, of, of course, um, <laughs> the, uh, our, our addiction was the last one that he addressed. And, uh, when he finally, uh, began to find sobriety and healing in that, um, he was actually able to, uh, get married, um, to one of his ex-wives, um, because, uh, he had, uh, initiated some healing in that relationship to the point where, uh, she, uh, felt, like that was a safe and healthy thing for her to do. Uh, and they fell back in love, uh, got married again. He tells this great story on the track. You'll hear it where um, he goes to the uh, minister at his church and asked for uh, uh, a time slot to get married on a Thursday night at nine o'clock in the evening. And the minister asked him, why, why Thursday <laughs> and why at nine o'clock? And uh, he said, well, uh, Thursday is my sobriety date. Um, it, it's my, it's going to be uh, uh, two years for me. And uh, the minister said, well, why nine o'clock? And he said, well, that's because that's um, when my meeting is over. So he actually went to a meeting on the day of his wedding and uh, showed up to his wedding after that. And, uh, and they had a lot of the uh, members from his local fellowship uh, show up and support him and his wife as they got married. Um, just a really beautiful story of um, really what this program is all about. It's not just about, you know, for Ray and, and for me too, just not finding sobriety, but really um, initiating that healing. Um, Ray talks about um, how he, in, in his experience with the steps, he really would have liked to see in the language of AA some of the more positive aspects of not just, you know, 
addressing our character defects, but really developing and cultivating virtues. And, um, and he speaks to that and how that uh, is a, a principle that he lived out in his own life. So um, I'm just really excited for you all to, to listen to those. Um, definitely uh, excited about some of the recovery tools he shares. Um, just one little shared, uh, one example of that that I'll, I'll share with you now is um, he talked about this uh, fellowship that he joined when he was very early in his recovery. And um, his, the one guy with sobriety in his fellowship um, moved away. And he and about a dozen other members were sitting in a circle one night, the first night that this member had left, wondering how they were going to do it. How are we all going to recover? We don't have anybody to sponsor us. There's nobody here who's sober. And uh, they developed amongst themselves this tool of uh, sponsoring each other and using the group as a sponsor and um, finding power in the group um, to, uh, to, to get the experience, strength, and hope that they all needed uh, for their recovery. And um, as it turns out, that particular fellowship is now one of the strongest fellowships that I've ever encountered. Um, it's uh, down in Southern California. And um, it, I, I've known that fellowship for a while and always been impressed with the kind of recovery that I see in those members. And it just kind of cracked me up when I heard this story, that that's how it started, that, that uh, they came from a place where, where none of them were sober at one point. So um, anyway, uh, with that, I think I'll um, open it up for some other people to share now. And um, I, I guess I don't really have a, a strong topic uh, for anybody to be restricted by, um, but I, um, because this all has to do with the, the, the member who started our uh, prison outreach. Um, I think one of the things that I could, uh, that I'm eager to hear from all of you is maybe some experience that you have with freedom. Um, since uh, a lot of the members in our program who are incarcerated, uh, they don't experience the kind of freedom that maybe we all associate with that word where, you know, they're not free to walk around among us and live the life they want to lead um, in a, in a cultural sense, but they do experience freedom from their disease, from the enslavement of this addiction, and they have spiritual freedom. And uh, so I think I'm going to kind of uh, start the topic there, but I'm open to uh, wherever else any of you want to take it. And uh, so I don't see anybody raising their hand yet, but uh, I'll just uh, sit for a little bit now uh, in silence to see if anybody wants to, to jump in. Thank you. Okay, well, it doesn't seem like anybody's too eager to share right now, which is fine. Um, I, uh, I'm going to just ramble on a little bit longer just to kind of keep uh, the sound going for anybody just joining the, uh, the room uh, at the moment. Um, we're not having any technical difficulties. It's just uh, one of those quieter hours. Um, for those of you just joining, um, I posted a link to some MP3s uh, if anybody wants to listen to them uh, from an old timer um, sharing his experience, strength, and hope. Uh, in recovery and in service and in a specific service of starting meetings in prison. Um, I, uh, I wanted to share a little bit about the, uh, the project in other ways. Um, and again, if anybody wants to jump in with a topic or a question, uh, please feel free to um, just raise your hand or, or just uh, ask me uh, to interrupt. I'm more than willing to let you do that. Um, one of the things that I found when I was working on this program is that uh, this, this, this project was really not, um, something that I felt like I was controlling. It definitely felt like uh, my higher power was at work the entire process. Uh, first of all, it, it wasn't my idea. It was something that came from another member. And um, when I finally uh, agreed to uh, do the project and get on board with it, um, I didn't really know uh, at the time uh, when I agreed to it how it was going to work out. And uh, 
th things just kind of fell into place as we were moving along. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to afford a trip out to Arizona to record uh, Ray share. Uh, but as it turns out, the uh, board of trustees were in support enough of the project that they, um, they, they agreed to reimburse me for the funds. Um, I, uh, I found that uh, quite, um, I wouldn't say ironic because maybe that's not the right word, but it just seemed um, special, uh, a special blessing for me to, um, to have SA support me in my personal recovery and now in maybe even my vocational uh, journey um, in a way that I never anticipated. You know, this program's given me my life. It's given me my spirituality. And um, now in this uh, particular sense, I could see that it was actually giving me um, uh, somewhat of a job to do. And um, I was very, uh, just very humbled and grateful by, by that. And uh, then when I got to um, the, the point where we were going to be trying to figure out where I was going to stay while I was down there and um, how I was going to get around, um, members stepped forward and they, they, they uh, the, this, uh, especially Glenn uh, from, from Tucson, he, uh, yeah, he and his family just opened up their home to me. Uh, drove me around for a few days and uh, yeah, kept me entertained while I was there. And um, it was just a really uh, beautiful experience to uh, meet a complete stranger and his family and uh, feel safe enough to just um, uh, basically live in their space uh, while I did the service work. And then um, the timing of the project, as I said before, with Ray uh, being an excellent health, uh, at least seemingly an excellent health during this uh, interview and then, um, you know, a month later, not having the energy to even go to the meeting and uh, a month after his diagnosis passing away, um, I definitely think that uh, our higher power was at work there in uh, giving us this uh, gift uh, before he uh, passed on. And um, also uh, in the editing process, um, you know, taking nine hours of uh, audio recording and uh, trying to do something with it that was... Uh, digestible you know i don't uh, as as valuable as i think nine hours of recording could be um i don't see a lot of members jumping uh, <laughs> at the chance to listen to nine hours of recording um an hour at a time is probably much more doable and um having these uh, topics um being very distinct and um, just really kind of revealing themselves to me as i was going through the footage um, was also just a um an almost magical process um i i, I guess that's the best way to describe it. Um, I didn't have any preconceived uh, ideas uh, about how this was all going to work out or how it was all going to come together. Um, I had some rough ideas about what I wanted to do with it because of um, the questions that I had asked him initially, but I didn't really know uh, where it was going to go from there. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to have, uh, you know, uh, eight hours of footage at the end of the editing process or if I was going to have uh, one. Um, but as it turns out, um, it kind of worked itself into a, a way as I was going through and listening to what he had to share. Um, I cut out all of my questions, of course, so you don't hear any of those in the recordings. Um, there was a couple of times where we just went over some repetitive uh, material. Other times, uh, Ray was just uh, sharing about his personal life. Um, it was interesting and, and, and good to hear, but it wasn't quite um, in line with the topics that uh, I would say are recovery-oriented. Um, he also had a lot of things to share about his opinion of the prison system, um, things that I wouldn't really want a prison official to hear if they happen to come across these recordings and um, just other things like that. And uh, as, yeah, so it just, everything just kind of revealed itself as I was going along. And um, yeah, uh, the topics seem to um, take on a life of their own. And um, there's a lot of rearranging that took place when I was trying to find a way to make everything flow. But um, yeah, I think as you're listening to it now, um, there's uh, yeah, just a really smooth, 
um, seemingly uh, um, continuous uh, experience of a Ray just uh, sharing. And uh, there's something also about the sound quality that uh, some members have commented to me about. A lot of times when we listen to recordings, they're coming from conventions or they're coming from meeting rooms where there's, you know, there's echoes and there's audience uh, noise in the background. And uh, th these particular recordings are just uh, really, they're just Ray um, up, up close, um, very intimate. There's just something very uh, comforting about uh, the sound as you're listening to it. Um, just, he has a very soothing voice. Um, and you'll, you'll know what, exactly what I mean when you start listening. And um, it just kind of sounds like um, what I would think, uh, I, I would kind of relate the experience to just sitting down with a really experienced, warm and caring sponsor who just has a lot of really great uh, gifts to share um, about, his, uh, about his weaknesses and his strengths. And um, I, I'm, I'm eager for all of you to, to, to hear some of that. Um, and uh, one more thing I wanted to mention about just kind of the, uh, the ways that I felt like my higher power was at work throughout this entire process was um, my original plan was to have these recordings done within a matter of maybe like two months after recording these. Uh, I, I did the interviews back in April and um, right around the time where I was going to begin starting the editing process, I broke my hand. And um, that kind of took me away from my computer for about six weeks, as well as my other uh, work projects. And so I fell very behind with all of my work projects that I have uh, with, with uh, not just this project, but other things I do for, to, to make, my uh, make a living. And um, at the end of the six weeks, I went back to work and uh, I, I couldn't touch this project uh, for a while because I had so much catching up to do uh, with my career and um, had to you know, disappoint a lot of my other clients telling them, you know, I'm sorry, I broke my hand. Uh, I was out for six weeks. It's now going to take me um, a while to get caught up and uh, fit all of that six weeks of missed work into this already busy schedule that I have for the summer and the fall. And um, as it turned out, the uh, project that I was working on uh, for SA, uh, this project didn't, uh, didn't come together really until just a few months ago. And, um, as I didn't realize it at first, I was very frustrated by that. But um, by the time I had gotten done with it, um, I happened to have um, started training at a uh, correctional facility here in my state, um, about an hour away from where I live, uh, where I'm going to get the opportunity to uh, start a meeting there uh, with, with Eric S., uh, the same individual who came up with the idea for this program, for this project. And um, Eric and I are going to start um, a meeting over there. And we had to go through this safety training, more or less, where we learned about um, ways to interact with the prisoners in a, ways that, in, in a way that doesn't jeopardize our safety, our anonymity. Um, there's a lot of uh, pressure from the prisoners to try to uh, <laughs> corrupt volunteers and get them to uh, do things for them that uh, really we shouldn't be doing. And um, I, uh, I learned a lot of things uh, about, you know, about conducting a prison meeting just from that training, even though I haven't started it yet. And uh, I was able to uh, find in Ray's testimony some of those nuggets about safety and about uh, conducting the meetings in a way that, again, protects our anonymity and our safety uh, with these prisoners. And uh, I don't think I would have really been clued into those little comments that he made about that and included them in the recording. And they're actually really essential to the recording for anybody who's trying to start a meeting in prison um, to, to hear those things. So um, I'm really glad that uh, in the end, my broken hand resulted in that delay to make sure that I got those little tidbits in from his share into these recordings into the final uh, versions. And um, yeah, that wouldn't have happened if, uh, if it hadn't been for that injury that I had. So uh, there was just a lot of things like that, that um, 
I, uh, yeah, personally just uh, was, was, was amazed by, and, uh, it just brought up more opportunities for me to be grateful. So, um, anyway, with that, I think I'm going to open it up again, uh, for some, uh, hopefully um, some sharing from some of you. Um, if any of you have any uh, experiences you would like to share, um, I really would love to open up the topic to just anything you feel like talking about uh, that's recovery oriented, of course. Um, I don't want to restrict uh, anybody uh, who might be uh, called or, um, uh, yeah, just uh, feeling um, in any way uh, called to uh, share on anything that's uh, close to their heart uh, tonight. So uh, with that, I'll, uh, mute my microphone again and uh, see if any of you want to jump in. Thank you. All right. Well, um, I guess uh, what I'm going to do uh, for a little while uh, again, and for this next segment is um, I can share a little bit about what uh, some of the things that Ray shared in his, uh, in his interviews. Um, there's a, uh, Obviously, um, I would love to be able, if, if I could, um, be able to just play the tracks for you uh, during this uh, hour, but um, I haven't figured out a way using this uh, Zoom platform to do that. So, um, and when I tried playing it earlier over the, uh, a microphone uh, in an acoustic way, it didn't uh, carry over very well uh, in a way that everybody could hear. So, um, uh, being familiar enough with the material, I'll just try to share some of the things that he uh, talked about in um, his uh, shares. Uh, just to, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, um, fill up some of this time uh, while some of you uh, might be discerning or contemplating uh, something to uh, uh, speak about during this time. Um, so uh, I'm going to focus on his story since I think that's the part of uh, what he was talking about that most of, uh, well, all of us can relate with. Um, he talked about, we, we opened up the uh, interview with uh, talk about his family and um, one of the things that struck me about that part of his story is that he grew up in a home where uh, both of his parents were uh, alcoholics. And uh, basically he didn't recall any moment of his life where his parents were ever um, sober. Um, he said they had a constant blood, blood alcohol content and he grew up in a, in a home uh, where there was just a, a very strong presence of addiction. But at the same time, uh, he also was close to his grandparents who lived uh, just a few doors down from, uh, from where they lived, from where his parents lived. And he got to visit his grandparents quite often, um, almost whenever he liked um, uh, throughout uh, his life, uh, up until the time where his grandparents died. And he could see a very strong difference between um, his uh, addicted family and, uh, and his non-addicted family, his grandparents. And... Um, of course, at the time when he was uh, growing up, he didn't ex understand exactly why those uh, why those uh, differences were there, but he he was still very much uh, aware of them at a subconscious level, and um, definitely uh, got some um, uh, you know that that influenced uh, his uh, his upbringing and, and 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 his own addiction and his uh, journey with addiction, uh, of course, um, as as it often has for a lot of us. And um, he uh, shared about how uh, when his, um, you know, when his parents had uh, been raising him uh, in that kind of unhealthy environment, he had a lot of resentment, of course. But um, in uh, Finding Recovery years later, um, he looked back on that period of his life and he um, was able to forgive his parents uh, for, uh, for what they had put him through and also for their own uh, 
addictions because um, he recognized that there was really no way for them to uh, to find the kind of recovery that he had found. Um, he mentioned how at the time that he was growing up, um, AA was still just getting started. Um, there might not have even really been an AA meeting near anywhere near where his parents lived um, because he was just a toddler uh, when AA had been getting started. And so um, just kind of recognizing that uh, as well as doing some of his other uh, step work um, and uh, work on his resentments. Uh, yeah. Recognize that his parents did the best job they could do. Um, another thing about his story is that he uh, related how uh, career wise um, he, uh, he did really well. He um, became a president of a, um, of a college at one point. Um, and he talked about some of his uh, uh, pathways to getting to that, uh, that, uh, that, that point in his career and uh, really, you know, as, as, as a lot of us are, we're very high-functioning addicts. And uh, he talked about how uh, he had been able to do that, get married, um, had a marriage that went on for uh, over a decade, had uh, uh, children in that marriage, and um, was really able to uh, live a life where um, a lot of people didn't, didn't realize anything was wrong. Um, they didn't see that uh, there was anything unhealthy about uh, his behavior. Um, he kept his addiction a secret. And, um, at one point he just, uh, decided that, um, because of what he knew he was doing with, uh, his secret life, uh, his double life of, uh, masturbation and obsession and isolation, um, he decided he wasn't happy. He decided it was because of his marriage that he wasn't happy and he left, he left his wife, he left his children and, uh, he, uh, got remarried to, uh, somebody else, um, an affair partner actually. And, um, he, uh, kind of repeated the cycle, um, stayed in a marriage with her for a number of years, had some children with her and uh, decided that, uh, he still had, uh, made the same mistake again. And if he had found the perfect person that, uh, or the right person that, uh, this wouldn't be happening to him and his addiction wouldn't be, uh, developing the way that it, uh, was that it was and, uh, left his uh, second wife for a, a third, uh, uh, partner uh, who also happened to be an affair partner. And, um, it was in that third marriage that um, he uh, was called out by his, uh, by his uh, spouse at the time to, um, to start getting some help because uh, things were beginning to unravel in a way where she was able to see it and where his uh, coworkers were also able to see that something was wrong. He was talking about um, his addiction to coffee, his addiction to sugar, his addiction to uh, alcohol, um, just all of those things crashing it uh, all at the same time. Um, I, I know that we're focused on sex addiction here, but, uh, or lust addiction here, but he talked about um, how he used to drink uh, um, a gallon of coffee just to kind of uh, maintain his functioning level at his work while he um, drank as much as he did. And uh, talking about um, eating two pounds of chocolate in the middle of the night so his wife didn't see him and uh, just having, you know, this really strong dependency on sugar as well. And uh, just all of those things, just trying to stay functioning, couldn't keep his eyes straight, couldn't, couldn't even drive. He had to drink coffee so that he could drive to work. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, his wife just very calmly uh, telling him one day that he needed to get help or she would leave. And he said that it was because uh, in her voice, there was no anger, there was no yelling. It was just a very calm conversation where she, that she had with him where she said she, that that would happen. Um, that really got to him. And that's what woke him up and got him into uh the um, recovery facility. He, he, he did an outpatient program actually at first 
And um, through that program, got introduced to the steps, got introduced to AA. And it was when he left that facility that he um, found uh, SA again, because his third wife had introduced him to it. 